Hello, you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Zach McCoy. And it's your boy, Trav. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to our Thursday show, or Stacey, where we take a look at the oeuvre of a one perennial bridesmaid and knower of cinema, Mr. Martin Scorsese. And Zach, what are we watching this week? This week, we are watching After Hours, which is about, you know, sad office worker Paul having a fever dream on one night in Soho, which uh, apparently was uh, the original title. That's right. Yes. Wild. Because right. so, we just saw last night in Soho a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so is this everybody's first time watching this film? Absolutely. No. Mm-hmm. No, for me as well. Zach, do you remember your first time watching it? Yeah, it wasn't all that long ago. Just a, a, a few years ago. It was one of the ones... I was like, I haven't seen this. is a blind spot in my Scorsese. I'm going to start watching it. Um, so I watched it, and um, yeah. How about you, Paul? I picked it up in a box set about 15 years ago and Ooh. watched it then. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, the box set came with, like, Alice doesn't live here anymore, and who's that knocking on my door? Interesting. Okay. This and uh, a couple other things that I don't remember. So you've got much more time with this movie than... But all, this is this is only like my second watch of this film. Oh, so okay. It's it's not one that I I I liked it a lot when I first watched it, but it's not one that I I went to routinely because around that time I was collecting DVDs, mm-hmm. just going to like anywhere that sold DVDs and picking them up by the fistful. So my rewatch value on a lot of stuff was very low. Right, it kind of it still is. Like I'm just watching rewatching the Spider-Man franchise for the first time in like 15 or so. Oh, wow, that's wild. Yeah, I just I don't rewatch a lot of a lot of things starting starting about 2005. I was about to say you just have your list of things you consistently watch. Yeah, there's there's a few <laughs> there's a few things that I will I will rewatch over and over again. And now that I have children, they ask to rewatch a lot of stuff. Right. And I, if it's something that I'm I'm really into like into the spider verse. Right. I'm yeah. complaining. Yeah. I've, I've watched into the spider verse maybe like five times. Cause every now and then my children will be like, I want to watch into the spider verse. Oh yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> me <Yep>. too. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, there's no Oscar breakdown on this film. So wild. Uh, this is, that's wild to me. Did have, uh, Marty, uh, won best director at Cannes film festival and the independent spirit awards though. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. Congrats him. Yeah. And I I don't mean to shit on that award, but I just feel like that's a little beneath Marty to uh, praise him. To praise him for winning that just seems beneath him because at this point, you know, he's a revered director, in my opinion. I do love this. Not disrespecting, you know. Right. Spirit yeah. Awards, but these days the Spirit Awards really reflect more of my taste in film than the Oscars almost ever do. Well, do you feel like the Independent Spirit Awards that title is more significant to real independent movies than it was then? Because I don't, I don't yeah, understand how this, this movie was even in that. Yeah, it, um, it, yeah. So it was Spirit Awards were founded in '84. So this is only like the second oh this was okay this was the first year of it he was the first winner of that award in 85 84 would be the second second yeah 
So maybe they're trying to legitimize their self by, you know, uh, having I mean, him there. But this was, a you know, an independent film for the most part. Yeah, it only cost $4 so, million. Dollars. Um, well, kind of independent. I mean, Level Play Productions was uh, Griffin Dune's uh, company, or he was a producer of it. Anyway. But it was like what Warner Brothers distributed it. So, so I guess, it, like you said, Spirit Awards are much more indie now than they were right back then. And I and I still think they cater a lot to what people call the mini majors. Mm-hmm. Like a twenty four is not. It's not like true independent filmmaking. It's right. You know, it's, it's not. It started well, out that way, but it pulls in a lot of big. Well, names. it it pulls in a lot of big names because they're like they're making the kind of movies I want to make. Yeah, exactly. And and while it it adheres to the spirit of independent filmmaking, it's what so like you have the major studios like Warner Brothers and Disney and blah blah blah, 20th Century Fox, but no, it's Disney now. Um, and then you have these these kind of mid-tier houses like A24, which people right. refer to as like mini majors. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're not they're not like full moon features who are chucking out a, a bunch of a uh, Right. Movies about uh, killer dolls and baby oopsies <laughs> on their own dime. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Well, so Trav, with your first time watching it, how did you feel about this movie? Oh, my God. I love this movie from scene one, bro. <laughs> Jesus, man. You know, awesome. uh, when, you know, the the new guys in there and he's kind of showing them the ropes on the computer and just the conversation going on between the two and how he's just already fucking over this dude like two minutes into the conversation the, I'm the like, new guy being played by Bronson Pinchot from Perfect Strangers yeah, yeah I don't know who that is <laughs> honestly I don't really know who Griffin Dune is Dune, uh, Dunn, whatever the hell was uh, name Griffin Dunn, he, uh, you probably know him best from I just uh, know him from Werewolf, Werewolf in London yeah. Yeah. That's kind of his biggest role. Yeah. I, I know that um, he's in your new favorite movie, The French Dispatch, but mm-hmm. oddly enough. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, pretty much that scene. And then, of course, um, the cafe scene is fine and stuff. Good setup. But when, when he calls her and she's like, come on over. And he's like, yeah, I'm about to go get some pussy. And he gets in the cab and that cab's a fuck driving like a fucking maniac. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, this is gold. I was dying at the the cab. Uh, yeah, $20 bill flight. Driving up like a yeah, $20. <laughs> and dude, uh, you know, spoiler alert. When he found the $20 back on the fucking sculpture with the newspaper, I lost my shit. I was cackling, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is so stupid. Oh, I wish Marty would do more stuff like this. Oh, this is a black comedy. This is a very, this very dark comedy. The other one that we watched with like King of Comedy. King of Comedy. Mm. Fuck that. And I gotta say, at this point, watching Marty stuff, I think I prefer Marty not working with De Niro right now up to this point than I am Marty with De Niro, in all honesty. I Okay. I let's let's get Zach's thoughts here because uh, I I think I've kind of given my hand that I absolutely love this film. I do too. I um I think I'm gonna sneeze. Cut it out. <laughs> we got another one. <laughs> <laughs> <Hell>. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. All right. Um, <laughs> so my first time watching it, it was I, I liked it, but it, it was another one that was kind of frustrating. It's like, why are these people acting like this? Because I didn't have anything, any prior knowledge. I didn't read about it or anything uh-huh. beforehand. But watching it the second time, I, I was picking up on, you know, uh, metaphors or whatever is supposed to be representative of shit. It's not like I don't know a whole lot about Soho, but you know, artsy fartsy people maybe they do act like this in the middle of the night, right? Right. <laughs> um, but then you know, reading about some of how it's Marty kind of was trying to make the last temptation of Christ. I'm sure lots of us read the notes and things. Paul has read <laughs> yeah, a whole yeah. bunch about this. Yeah, you know, representing his his stagnation with the studios and stuff and it's it is it's very funny and it's very frantic and fast and it's like from yeah like you said from from the get-go it's just like bam here we go and then (laughs) the movie ends abruptly just as abruptly as it started it's crazy yeah yeah i do want to say real quick paul before you get going my i literally wrote on letterbox that this whole movie is just one long scene and i fucking love it it's oh, literally yeah. just one long scene. Yeah, <laughs> like it, uh, Mad Max Fury Road takes the energy of this film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I think it was my letterbox review because it was also ridiculous. Um, uh, yeah, Toby. Uh, I said I wish modern comedies had the chutzpah to be this over directed, dude. <laughs> in the camera work, especially at the yeah. end. What throughout the office? That's legitimately fucking five star, ten out of ten Oscar camera work at the end for no reason. <laughs> just to do it. <laughs> like, look, look, here's here's the thing. Like, I watch this with my wife. My wife, uh-huh. she watches movies with me, and she she picks up some of the things I I talk about a lot. But when my wife notices how overly directed the camera work is I in know. a film, you know you've gone like. To eleven, <laughs> there's just the scene, like uh, the scene she spotted it in was when he's at the diner and Rosanna Arquette stands up to come join him, right? And it's this like over the shoulder shot that just kind of cranes in behind her as she's just moving tables. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you need that shot to be that dynamic? And almost every shot in this film is exactly that dynamic. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> like, going to ask: the- Is that more Marty or is it more Michael? I, I think it's a mixture of the two. I think I think Michael Bauhaus uh, definitely adds an energy to this film. Yeah. Uh, and and it's Marty. You know he's he's really in a funk right now. He's burned out from uh, King of Comedy, and then he's just like, I just want to make my Jesus movie. <laughs> and they don't let him make his, yeah. <laughs> and they don't let him make his G like apparently. They were supposed to start shooting the last temptation of Christ in like two weeks. Right. They had everything yeah. set up. All the actors are ready to go. They have sets. They have all this stuff. And then they're just like, eh, nah, never mind. Yeah. So well, go on. No, I was gonna ask because I wanted to focus on that a little bit. On do you think they just don't want to do it because he keeps kind of bombing? And they're like, Well, dude, it's just Probably not part of it. Worth I, it. I, I think I think that's probably part of it, and I think another part of it was it's just a. I mean, when that film comes out, and we'll we'll talk about it a lot more when we get there. It's very controversial. It is still kind of a controversial film today, uh, mm-hmm. and 
I think a studio is just kind of afraid to do it. Like they just got cold feet and they said, mm, I, I don't know that we want this heat right now, especially with uh, King of Comedy being the biggest bomb of its year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, <laughs> so he just essentially, he's like, I just want to do a film that's all style. Yeah. Like right. almost no substance, all style. <laughs> and fuck's sake, <laughs> it's the camera work of this is wild. It's insane. Yeah. yeah, like even them walking into the diner. So, like, yeah, yeah, him, him on the phone where it starts out like on the phone and just, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. dolly shot around his head. <laughs> Why do you need that? And when he goes into the the apartment where Marcy and Kiki live, how? Because you know it's one of those huge kind of art things. So it's just open space. It's just fucking nothing but open space and pillars and how they record around the stuff. And you know what, all the stuff Mm. that's going on. I'm like, dude, this is Uh, like serious top Oscar drama, fucking camera work here. And it's just for this, this wildly insane story about a man that what happened between when he got off work and when he went back to work, (laughs) (laughs) the cyclical nature of his life. Oh God, the fucking ending. Mm so good fuck it's that so, ending was so good it's so wonderful <laughs> ah, yeah. linda fiorentino has kiki too god she's uh, really hot yeah. in this movie yeah, yeah she was she's real good looking yeah uh <laughs> um terry gar this, also oh, i read that uh gar, gar. tim burton was gonna yeah. direct this and when he found out martin was interested he said all right well martin can have it yeah, kind of like respect for Scorsese. Yeah, uh, and then he goes on and uh, directs Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So right, <laughs> nah. which I gotta say, and it's not the shit on Tim Burton because I like Tim Burton, but then he's got some stuff that I'm just not a fan of mm-hmm. as well. Uh this movie is not good in my opinion. If Tim Burton directs this movie, I'm I, I think it has it's a, way more goofier. I don't know, '80s Tim Burton. I think gives it a different energy because I'm thinking of this more in terms of like Beetlejuice. Right. Which I think has the energy of this film and it could be good, especially because it would have been his first, his directorial debut. Right. Yeah. So just, it would have been interesting. I mean, it's got the kind of dark edge to it that, you know, that typical Burton or whatever, but yeah, it's, I think it all worked out like it was supposed to. I, yeah. I totally agree. Just things worked out and had did things happen how they were supposed to happen. I just think if Tim Burton directs it, it's a little too dark. Martin does a great line of walking the fine line of it's dark because of the situations that he's in, but you never feel like it's a dark movie type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the situations still kind of feel goofy a little bit, but serious at the same time. Yeah. I don't really know the words to describe it but yeah. i just know it was fucking really good <laughs> yeah because when it wanders into into more like <laughs> serious territory in right, right. the next scene it it brings you back to this this just comedy of errors where yeah the coincidences are just everywhere Each situation <laughs> keeps getting yeah up the yeah. ladder a little bit and, you know it, and at the end when she decides to put him plaster him uh <laughs> You know, it's just like the cake where he's just stuck in it now. Dude, I'm telling you, bro, when she went to go check on the thing at the top and Cheech and Sean came up the sewer, 
and was gonna. I knew that they were gonna steal him, and he was gonna be stuck in this fucking plastered sculpture. And I was just on the couch laughing, bro, because yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. dude, this is just so stupid. And the one thing I absolutely love about everything that happens in this movie is that everything builds and nothing yeah. goes away. So many breadcrumbs. Yeah, and and everything just kind of becomes this cacophony of events to where by the time that it gets to the end, every little piece that has been put in play comes back into play. So nothing is wasted. Everything matters by the time you get to the end. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's a quality of writing that a lot of people just can't achieve. Dude. And I know I don't want to get ahead of us going into the weeks, but I feel like, this movie, I've never seen it before, but when I look at the list of movies coming up that I have seen, I feel like this movie kicks off the greatness of Martin Scorsese. Because in my opinion, when I look at this list, dude, it's like movie after movie after movie that I just fucking love. I I think it I, I think it's a it really kicks him into a different gear. And yeah, there's I can't think of anything I don't love immediately after this yeah mm-hmm. um yeah and and the fact that this was written as a uh college like final dissertation whatever and that guy got an a on it as martin scorsese says and then it was a griffin dunn passion project for martin martin scorsese to just pick up somebody else's passion project and make it this yeah how, how did this get to his desk uh Scripts just float around sometimes. They they end up in I, I don't know specifically how it gets to Griffin Dunn, but um I mean he has an agent and an agent could have just been like, Hey, I read this. I think you might be interested, but somehow it ends up in his hands and it goes from there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it just kinda it cracks me up. And I going just going back to the genius of this film, how it all starts with the paperweights and then him. <laughs> fucking just yelling at Marcy about, I want to see the paperweights, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then when he, I can't remember the name of the waitress that, that is at that, that bar. Julie? Is that, yeah. Ju- I think it is Julie. Okay. Terry Gar's character. Bro, when she brings out the fucking paperweight <laughs> and we finally see the paperweight <laughs> after an hour and 20 minutes of waiting on this damn paperweight, I was, I'm just thinking in my head, God, it's so fuck. This movie is so fucking good. <laughs> and, then, and then when he, he goes back to the the club, and they end up in that woman's room, and she's just got like a stack of them. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so subtle. It doesn't even get acknowledged. It's just there in the background, like, uh, why are yeah. there so many paperweights? So many paperweights, and they're just the shittiest looking paperweights too. Like, this is not what I expected. This thing was huge. Like, it's an inconvenient paperweight. Like, it's pretty much just a rock. And I love when he's yelling at Marcy. He's like, I just got papers flying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got loose papers flying all over my apartment right now. Yeah. Dude, the, the times when he loses his cool and he's like, he's like, shit, I'm sorry. I don't even know why I'm yelling right now because his night is just wild. And it's also subtle too. Um, she pitches about the paperweight. She gives him the number. When he gets in the cab, the money flies out the thing. And it goes back to if he had a fucking paperweight, this money would have flown out the window. And it's not acknowledged, but it's something that you think about. Like, 
it, the whole paperweight <laughs> trend goes throughout the whole movie unspoken yeah. for yeah, the right. most part. And that's what I'm talking about. It's so fucking genius. Yeah. 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 Like you said, every little thing, even, you know, Julie just randomly like, oh, I do sketches. Let me sketch you and <laughs> put them on the wanted, wanted poster. <laughs> put them on the wanted poster. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Why? It is like, why? Okay, Catherine O'Hara driving around in the ice cream truck looking for him. Dude, especially when, um, you know, what did he say? And she started talking about her career, and he was like, I don't know if you misheard me, but I did not ask you about your career. And she's just going on, you know, it's, you think it's easy, but it's not easy. I got a, I got this kind of license. <laughs> I got like a class four license. Dude, she was so, dude, oh my God. Again, when he's sitting in the diner and the guy went to go get his keys and here comes the mob and she has the paper and he's like, that's him. And they are all running in to get him. I lost, dude, the mob was so good. I lost my shit every time the mob was chasing him. <laughs> they were just chasing like a pack of wolves, dude. Uh, so I, I love that scene in particular when uh, the bartender goes out and talks to the mob. Yes. Because that's uh, John Hurd and Catherine O'Hara, who are the parents from the first two Home Alone movies. Home Alone movies. Yeah. <laughs> before Home Alone, though, right? So they yeah, wouldn't yeah, have like, known. Okay. Like five years yeah. from before Home Alone. Right. So uh, so I like to think that they hooked up in the mob after this movie <laughs> and went and moved to Chicago. And I, and I wonder if that's what he was thinking when he was doing the casting for Home Alone, was maybe he went back to this movie. Oh, no. And I feel like he, he did. Because yeah. as soon as I... I don't, I don't think I've seen Catherine O'Hare this young before. I don't really know her career like that. You know what I yeah, mean? She, so she I don't know how many like, movies she did before this. She probably would have been on like SCTV around this time because mm -hmm. that's where she's that's where she gets her big start, which is of course the like Canadian equivalent to SNL. Yeah, I just thought it was funny that the parents from Home Alone were in this movie well before Home Alone and. <laughs> You know, I'm just now seeing it for the first time in 2021, and I was just like yeah. giggling to myself that it was the parents from Home Alone. Right. Uh, also, you know, your boy Dick Miller's in this again. Dick mm -hmm. Miller. Oh man, uh, <laughs> I love his one scene where he's just like, "Yeah, you can have free coffee. Why not?" <laughs> <Wink>. <laughs> I also love how um. Scorsese insert himself into the movie again. Like he always does like cameos in his own movies. He's in the club on Mohawk night. <laughs> <laughs> I also I also love that the song that's playing when they go into the club is Bad Brains is Pay to Come. Which, I don't know what that is. Well, I mean uh, okay, I know so who Bad Brains is, obviously, but what's it, it called? Again, you know, I don't listen to punk music, especially punk music from the seventies and eighties, so I don't know songs, but I obviously know Bad Brains is an iconic band. Right. I just think it's fitting that they're playing specifically Pay to Come. Right. The best, which is what the he's best doing part is so when he visits the club earlier, you think it's some gothic punk kind of club. And when he gets the flyer from a gothic punk kind of looking shake and he walks in and it's like regular people. <laughs> I was just, I just lost it, dude. I was, I was like, you think he's going to walk into this club and it's going to be fucking nuts because should be nuts, but it wasn't, bro. <laughs> it was just some old lady and a young Asian bartender. That's, that's June. She's always here. Oh, God, this movie, this movie's so good. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, we could literally name so many scenes from this movie. 
that are yeah. just like Gene. We could like spend an hour just talking about it. But uh, I do want to say this because Zach is there and I said it to you earlier, Paul. Mm-hmm. And um, when I heard this, this score was so good. And when I looked it up and saw that it was Howard Shore, I was just like, well, of course it's the greatest fucking composer of all time, in my opinion, because the guy just always knows what to play, when to play it, and how to play it. Like He's very versatile. I mean, I hadn't yeah, ever seen uh, uh, what did I just watch? Videodrome for the first time when he did that one. It's like he can mm-hmm. do an understated yeah, him and, electronic him and thing. And, have a great relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, we're coming up on the 20-year anniversary of Fellowship, so yeah. I just watched, you know, the trilogy this week, and every bit that music, dude, I still yeah. say it's the greatest score of all time, but what's it called? Yeah. yeah, again, the guy just knows, and dude, I don't know how revered he was in 1985 or 1984 when they filmed this, but the fact that I wish him and Martin did more stuff together. Yeah, I'm actually trying to look his stuff up, and my computer decided to be a jerk. You know what it said? Hmm. It said, uh, uh, it's too much for us. It said, I, Howard, sure don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff, my man. Good <laughs> stuff. But yeah, um, okay, so they hooked up again in 1990. and But yeah, they really don't do too many things together, bro. Like, no. and I'm like, damn, I felt like this is a good team. Martin Scorsese and Howard Shore. Yeah, yeah he's uh, pretty much. He's kicking off his career, really, in the last few, first few yeah, years I was say 80s, he's, I guess. He's he's pretty much uh, hanging out with Cronenberg up to this point, because I don't know this. I miss you hugs and kisses, but he's done the Brood, Scanners, and Videodrome, which are all Cronenberg films. And then right. uh, Steve Martin's best show ever in 81. And uh, he only has nine episodes of the new show, and nothing lasts forever oh. before he does this. So right. he's 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 pretty much leveraged his relationship with Cronenberg to get on with Scorsese in this film, and yeah, he's almost right yeah. back to Cronenberg with the Fly the next year, <laughs> dude. And that score is really good. Yeah, it's not in like you know, it's not no. Oscar, you know, big operatic score. But again, it's perfect. Again, Howard Shore just knows what to play, when to play it for what's going on in the film. Right, right. Yeah, but I can't praise this movie enough, dude. This was... Yeah, I do do see... I won't mention the names of the movies, but I don't know if he he looks like he does at least four with Scorsese. Yeah, he does six with Scorsese, this being the first of six, but... He also does a... uh... He also does a uh, Ed Wood with Burton. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. I love that mm-hmm. film. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I just mean and six is a lot, but not for the list of uh, movies that Scorsese has done. Is what I True. was just trying to say. Yes, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but you know, yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really don't got nothing else to say, man. Besides how much I really love this movie. Yeah. And I'll just if we keep talking, I'm just gonna keep picking out scenes, dude. Yeah, yeah. We'll just we'll just start recreating. <laughs> We're just gonna talk about the movie scene by scene. No need to watch it. We got you. <laughs> this is yeah. supposed to be the short show. <laughs> but yeah, the, I mean, the last thing I'll say is this is another one that I didn't watch until recently because it's not often mentioned. And mm-hmm. 
I don't know why. Didn't you just, but Jesse Plemons wasn't in on his list that you shared with us, Paul. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's, it's one of those ones that's gained cult. status. it wasn't a bomb or anything. It doubled its, uh, um, budget. budget so yeah, $4 million. Okay. <laughs> All right. Nothing crazy, but yeah, I'd never really talked to anybody else who'd seen this movie until, you know, you guys. Yeah, no, I've never heard anybody bring this up on the list of Scorsese films that you should watch, and I don't know why. It's an absolute shame that this isn't one of his more popular films. Yeah. Now, I do want to ask, is this um, Michael's first film with Scorsese filming? Yes. Okay, I am glad, because I know this ain't this huge blockbuster, or not blockbuster, Hicks, Scorsese doesn't really do blockbusters, but like big drama type Scorsese films. I'm glad that, and again, we talk about the camera work is way over the top than what it should, that right. Scorsese's like, I wonder what we can do when I want to do real serious films. And I'm glad that he rode with Michael throughout the next X amount of films, dude, because this guy's an incredible cinematographer, dude. Yeah, he's doing a bunch of German stuff before this. Yeah. Uh, working with Fassbender. So. Yeah, I mean, pretty much Scorsese takes him under his wing at this point and makes get, makes him a name. Yeah, I, yeah. I think they, they both kind of inject something into each other's career that is just unmistakably good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, so, yeah, there we go. That's the first one. Oh, he shoots Under the Cherry Moon the next year, the Princeville. Oh, cool. Nice. Nobody yeah. has any last words? See it. Uh, see it. Dude, for real. See again, it. Yeah, again, uh, if if I keep talking about it, I'm just going to keep talking yeah, about yeah. it. So, see it. Well, I think, too, I mean, every week I come up here and I'm kind of warm on Scorsese. Like, outside of Taxi Driver, I really haven't praised any of his movies, movies that he directed for real up until this mm-hmm. point. And I'm like, dude, to me, this kicks off Scorsese being one of the greatest directors of all time. When you look at the list of movies that's coming after this movie, it starts here. I'm pretty much of the opinion. I haven't seen him direct a bad movie yet. Mm-hmm. So. And again, I mean, I don't want to harp on it too much, but I'm glad that he kind of sheds the De Niro thing. Because this movie is incredible. Next week's movie we're going to be doing um, looks incredible. I, De Niro's not in Last Temptation of Christ. You should you should watch the um, the hustler. You should watch the hustler before yes. you watch Color of Money. Oh yeah, because that's a great film. Uh, yeah, I know right. uh, it's based on the same guy. Yeah, he books or whatever. So, but that's another Tom Cruise movie I've never seen is The Color of Money. And when I read up on it, and again, I don't know when Tom Cruise started the whole uh, I don't need a stunt double thing. I'm, no matter what it is, I'm going to fucking do it. But when I was reading on Tom Cruise kind of doing what De Niro did when he drove a taxi, bought himself a pool table and kept himself locked away for six months and became like a legitimate pool player. Um, yeah. I love that kind of dedication. That's the, that's the method acting that I like not talking shit to people and being an asshole, but shit like that. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's get into our worsty judgments. Mm-hmm. 
right, Trav, where's the sitting in your rankings? My Scorsese rankings. Well, you know, on my Scorsese, Thursese, Scabies, Rabies, Babies list, um, I have it sitting at a hot number two just behind Taxi Driver, dude. Nice. Uh, this, I can't praise this film enough. This film was incredible. My God, it's so good. I don't, it's like Goodfellas level of good mm. to me. Like, I don't understand why people don't talk about this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Zach, where's the sitting on your rankings? Well, hmm. Let me see here. I, uh, I've got it at my number three, so it's very close. Um, I, you know, I appreciate King of Comedy. Uh, you know, Paul and I are fans of that, uh, and I, I, I like it. But I enjoyed this one more than I enjoyed King of Comedy, and it's funny and it's quick. Pop it on, hour and a half, all good. So it's my number three behind Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, which even if maybe I enjoy After Hours more than Raging Bull, I still think Raging Bull is a better movie. So that's why it's my number two. So, what about you, Paul? Uh, I have it sitting at my number four. So we're all kind of right there together. Uh, got uh, essentially what you got, but King of Comedy is sitting at my number three. Uh, I think this movie gets a lot out of its premise i think it gets a lot out of it its style it just does so much right it's so good it's It's so good good especially since he could have just walked home right from the get-go right he could have just said fuck it i'll walk home and he just doesn't he keeps trying to find other ways to get home instead of walking. And so, this is why this happens. It's so just something so good. I, something I read was like, it would take him almost two hours to walk home because it's five <laughs> miles between where he's at, where he lives. Because they give the specific addresses to uh, both of yeah, those yeah. places. Yeah. And someone was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google Maps this. He <laughs> probably would have if it hadn't started raining. But Well, I, I was going to say the um the taxi, I know that he was driving fast, but it didn't take him long to get there, three, four, five minutes. You know what I mean? So, and I know that's movie purposes. So, it, it maybe took the dude 10, 15 minutes to drive there. So, if you're driving 60 miles an hour, you're, you're going to get five miles in five minutes if you're, you don't have any obstruction. Yeah. But still, I just, I think that's the, the best part of this movie is the fact that as soon as the date went south and he left Marcy's spot, he could have just fucking walked home and avoided all this and sucked it up. Or, you know, when the bus, he didn't have enough for the bus fare, really. And then he yeah. could have walked home and said, fuck it. But he <laughs> did it. $1.50 just all tonight. this shit happened because his ass was too lazy to walk home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and call it there for tonight. Uh, Tramp, let people know where they can find you on the media social. Uh, that's right. I am on the medias on uh, Instagram at ZK Audio. I'm also on the Twitter at T-R-A-V-I-O-S-Z-K, where I'm also on Letterboxd by the same name. And you can check out my Scorsese list, my 2021 rankings, and all my other director rankings that I have going on. Uh, Squirter McCoy? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, folks. You can find me on... <laughs> 
Critiker at Zackmaster, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, on TikTok at House Havoc, or Letterboxd by searching my name, Mr. Workman. Uh, you can find me at Father of the Fear across the platforms of Twitter, Instagram, letter, or, uh, TikTok, and Letterboxd, where I keep a running tally of all the films that I watch. And this week I watched uh, King Richard. Mm, I ain't seen it yet. It's It's good. Every I time really I go to watch it, something happens, and I'm like, okay, because it's two and a half. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not a quick movie to throw on, so something pops up, or I'm like, I just mm. don't have the time to watch. I understand it. that. Uh, right. I keep trying to find time to go see the Eternals. Yeah, me too. I, just, I haven't seen it yet either, because not only is that two hours and forty minutes, but it's going to have thirty minutes worth of previews on the front of it. So right. Well, and on top uh, of that, uh, other stuff keeps coming out that I'm like, I push above it. So now, you know, yeah, it, I'm like, uh, and you know, House of Gucci is coming out like now. So I just what's saw it that today. Yeah. So, you know, now I'm like, okay, well now that takes precedent over Eternals. And yeah. we're getting into the end of the year where people are rushing in movies, you know, Macbeth's coming out in a couple of weeks. So I doubt oh, yeah. I'm going to see Eternals in theaters, to be honest with you. Uh, I might be seeing it this week. We'll see. Um, yeah. So uh, King Richard, it's good. I think it's, it's more of a performance driven film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to see it pick up uh, at least like costuming and, um, Maybe cinematography. It's a real Robert Elswit who works with uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson shot it, and it's really good looking. So uh, check that one out, especially if you have the HBO Maxes. (laughs) All right. Well, Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching The Color of Money, which you can rent on Amazon. Google, Voodoo, or YouTube. Get out your Newman dressing. <laughs> well, we're just going to keep bringing that up on every episode now. Huh? <laughs> Whenever Paul Newman's involved. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. We'd like to thank Trav. Trav, thank you so much. Hey, you're yeah. welcome. Uh, you're welcome, buddy. Sister, our sister podcast, Lovely Open Venture Banks, for producing our show. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Worthy Pod and on Facebook at the Oscar Worthy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five star review like everybody did with After Hours. Uh, it really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. Yes. Kiki, do you love me with your plaster? That's right. With your plaster. For Trav, Zach, and once again, the great. Even on time. You and me, pal, we are the loons. I'm like for you all, to have a damn fine day. 